Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 227 being recorded on Thursday, July 16th, 2020. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason Scott Show listeners. Jason, as you know, the last three episodes, we've had a what I would call a blue chip roster of guests on the show, um, and we want to take a little breather and catch up listeners on all the re- retail news going on. Uh, first of all, Jason, I think we have to address this super awkward elephant in the room. A lot of listeners have pointed out to me, and I've seen it on Twitter, that you have been presentation and pod cheating on me. So go ahead and tell listeners all these other things you have going on. Uh, I do plead guilty. I feel like I'm vast, as per usual, I'm vastly overexposed. Uh, I'm going to um, preempt your question with two other quick points I just wanted to throw out. Number one, uh, I'm thrilled to be here alone with you. We've I've, uh, we've had these like three great shows in a row with great guests that I super enjoyed. But uh, the bummer of that is I don't get to just make fun of your wrong positions and things because it, it wasn't just the two of us. So it's yeah, we're going to definitely carve out some time for that on the show. So it'll be fun. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thrilled to have some alone time with you, Scott. Uh, and uh, I, I w- it's come to my attention that there's a few listeners that don't listen to every episode all the way to the end of the episode. And so for those of you that don't, and I don't forgive you for that, uh, at the end of every episode, there's two very important things. We make a plea for you to go on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. So for those of you that get so much value from the front half that you don't listen to the back half, I'm throwing it in now. After tonight's episode, you need to get uh, yourself onto iTunes and leave us that five-star review. You owe it to us by this point. I feel like we've earned it. And uh, number two... I have a witty catchphrase that I conclude every episode with, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. So you, you mm-hmm. now you, you'll know what you're missing. I don't know if I've ever heard it either. I'm usually you've usually put me to sleep by the time we get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. It is an hour later where I am. So. Yeah, no, and I'm grateful I've, that you've never listened to a show after we published it because you wouldn't realize how much of you I edit out of the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally true. I hate listening to myself, so then I could actually listen and not. Oh myself, my god! So. Yeah, that could be a whole nother show. But I have all these horrible verbal crutches, and it's it's crushing to hear me saying um over and over again on this show. And you don't do that, for the record. Well, sometimes I miss us going to trade shows together, so I play our podcast at half speed, and I get to have drunk Jason. Oh, it's like being nice. at a trade show. Nice. Some people and would then say if I want to play Jason, regular speed <laughs> if I want to play Jason after three Starbucks, I put you on three X. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, but so yes, you have uh, correctly busted me. I've been uh, I've done a bunch of stuff, including cheating on you on some podcasts. Uh, so last week, my company um, published a pretty cool live stream on LinkedIn that they call Trends and Insights Live, and they're sort of a a, a beta tester of of uh, live casting on on LinkedIn. Uh, so they've done eight episodes this season. The eighth is the final episode in the season. And so, you know, that's when they wanted to roll out the really big guns. So the eighth episode was all about retail. So we called it the new reality of retail. And uh, two of my colleagues and I got to chat about some of the big, big evolutions in retail that we're, we're seeing. So you can watch a video of that on LinkedIn. And I'll put a, sh- uh, a link in the show notes. Since nobody knows LinkedIn has this, I'm sure there was a huge audience. Yeah, well, it shows up in your activity feed, so it's um, ah, okay. like you'll you've uh, it's a pretty big beta, so uh, not just anyone can stream yet. Um, although you'll be glad to know the the Jason and Scott show has been pre-approved for for streaming on LinkedIn. So if you want to do a show, we could do it. Nice. Yeah, we have clout with LinkedIn. We're influencers. Yeah. There's also a, a retail publication out there that a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with called Retail Touchpoints. Um, and they, they do a sort of video podcast series. So uh, I sat down uh, with them and did a, a 
an interview that they entitled uh, Separating Urgent from Important, because I think that was one of my topics that we talked about in the show. So I'll put a, a link into uh, or uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, there is a podcast specifically focused on the evolution of brick and mortar retail, which I know you would you would have some strong thoughts about called Brick and Mortar Reborn. So I, I uh, got to do an interview on that podcast. Um, or alternatively, The Path to Chapter 11. Exactly. Uh, maybe not, but okay. Uh, and then uh, there's a, a SaaS um, PIM product out there called Salsify. And the uh, the content team and, the, and one of the founders of Salsify started a cool podcast about the digital shelf that's uh, in fact called The Digital Shelf. Um, and, uh, so I sat down with Rob Gonzalez, who's the, one of the founders of Salsify and Peter Crosby, who's the chief storyteller there. And we had a good, good conversation for an hour. So in the extraordinarily unlikely event that people don't get enough of me on this podcast, there's like four more hours of me from the last two weeks you can get. And that's not all. Um, if you want the freshest stuff, I have like three things coming up next week too. So what are they, Jason? Yeah. Uh, so on start Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of next week is uh, NRF Next, which is sort of the the spiritual um, successor to sh- to the Shop.org trade show. So normally this would have been a in person event in Las Vegas. Uh, this year it's going to be a virtual event. It's two days, a bunch of great speakers, um, and I'm doing a presentation on Tuesday the twenty first. Uh, right, right around lunchtime, eleven forty-five uh, um, Eastern time, uh, called the Future Platforms, and I'll be talking about sort of the evolution of e-commerce platforms and uh, what people should be looking for and what what pitfalls the, they might make in choosing choosing a platform. So that's a topic I used to talk about all the time, and I haven't talked about it in a while. So I had to do a pretty pretty significant update of my my spiel for that. Cool. I would avoid going all in on Elliot just. BTW. Yeah, yeah. I, I I debated whether to bring it up at all. Um, <laughs> and for listeners that are following closely, Elliot's an e-commerce platform who's one of their founders was on this show, and uh, they imploded this month. And I, I I'm I'm not clear whether they just like weren't able to ship and bring it over the finish line and kind of folded, or whether it was like more significantly vaporware and was never close to the finish line. But I don't know if we'll ever know. There was an article that I tweeted that made it feel more vaporary. Yeah, uh, that, that seems entirely viable to me, unfortunately. Um, and so then uh, the week after that, uh, another former guest of the show, Scott Silverman, uh, who is uh, one of the founders of Shop.org, has his own event series that is also going virtual this year called Commerce Next. And so I'll be giving a, the, the closing keynote on uh, um, July 29th at 4.10 p.m. Eastern Time called Lessons Learned and Thoughts from the Future. So that will be cool. And then in the event that you're interested in my opinions but you can't stand my voice, um, which you would not be alone, uh, I do have a column in Forbes, and I have a new article I just uh, put the finishing touches on, and I think I'm going to publish that on Forbes over the weekend, and that is called The Retail's Great Pivot from Traffic uh, to uh, to Revenue Per Customer, kind of talking about how all retailers are having to make this big shift from trying to get as many people as possible in the store to having fewer people in the store and having to make more money on each one. Nice. Thanks yeah. for giving us a little exclusive uh preview of that exactly so i uh, appreciate it if uh, folks folks would take the time to read that and give me your feedback so that's all my stuff i'm exhausted already is the show over so i guess if people listen to this save it for next week you could have um, a week of jason essentially if i'm doing the math right you could read the article on that off day yeah yeah got a week of jason coming up yeah or you could just binge all 227 shows of the jason and scott show you do the math in a presentation. What is it like three weeks or something? If you did yeah. <laughs> back to back. Yeah. It's longer than any. Yeah. I think that, uh, like if, uh, if there was a remake of Abu grave, uh, we might feature prominently <laughs> when you do that in the audience, everyone looks at each other. Like, does he really think we're going to do that? Yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah. In a office kind of a way. Cool. Uh, my kids would say cringy. 
All right. So before we jump into the news, another piece of listener feedback that we've gotten is uh, folks have really enjoyed hearing uh, kind of our opposite views of the economy. So in our COVID show, you and I had a little friendly uh, spar, I guess I would say, about you know what we think is going to go on. Um, so we've gotten a lot of there's kind of a Team Jason, Team Scott thing forming there. Obviously, the Team Scott crew is uh, huge. Uh, the team Jason is a couple lonely souls. Uh, but in my experience, when, when you have these kind of different opinions, one of the best ways to kind of settle it is to make some predictions. Um, you and I do that on our annual prediction show, which is kind of more about, you know, e-commerce trends and things of that nature. But I thought at the top of the show, it'd be good here for us to kind of like update our positions and then make a little bit of a prediction. Um, one of the, one of the key differentiators where everyone's disagreeing right now, and I think you and I fall into different camps here too. So this is probably a good framework is the shape of the recovery. So, so the options are V, which would be, you know, we've kind of come down and we'll come right back up as quickly as we went down. So that V shape, um, a U, which would be like a delayed recovery. So, you know, call it, um, Q3 kind of, you know, middle to late next year. Um, you know, we do come back, but it's, you know, takes over a year to get there. Um, then there's the L some people call it a swoosh. Um, and that's kind of a super slow recovery. So more like 2022 before the economy is kind of cooking. Um, and then there's the dreaded W, which is the, we have a V and then we get into the fall, the virus surges, and then we have to go back into the bottom of the V again, which then, you know, and then you come back out. So that forms that W. Um, and then, you know, I've seen some other shapes out there, but those are the main ones. Um, so, so a, do you agree with that framing? And then B, why don't you go first and give us our view if you agree? Sure. Yeah. So I feel like there's some room for variance in, in some of those descriptions, but yeah, those, like those are certainly <laughs> all, all, um, versions of recovery that have been hypothesized and, and, uh, my own opinion is that it is going to be a, a checkmark-shaped uh, recovery, which would be the swoosh, um, but maybe not quite as slow as you described. Um, so I, I think we are still going to be significantly impacted uh, economically and likely health-wise by COVID for all of 2021. And so, uh, you know, I think holiday 2021 will be better than holiday 2020, which I, I'm not expecting to be very good. But I, I don't think we're going to get back to true pre-pandemic le uh, levels until 2022. So so maybe it doesn't take all the way till Q4 of 2022. I think January of 2022 might be on parity with January of 2019. So we may lose two years here. That is kind of uh, my shtick, and uh, I'm, uh, I like to call that the realistic position, and then uh, I think you, we've given the, the delusional position, too. So why don't you tell us what that is? <laughs> this is why predictions matter. So we'll, some, one of us will be right, and we'll at least be able to they'll, – they'll they'll be goalposts, at least. Uh, so I, I'm increasingly – so I've fought for a while, and I'm increasingly seeing that we're in a V-shaped recovery. So, um, so first of all, um, you know, unemployment is interesting. I think unemployment's misleading because so, so you, you, you made a point earlier about, um, you know, this is the worst economic depression since world war II, which if you use the, the correct definition of depression, you're right, but there's, you know, those were not caused by a pandemic. So those were caused by other, you know, economic impacts the government essentially caused this one as a reaction to the pandemic so um so so it's very unusual from anything else and you can't use those past things this is my theory and prediction you can't use those past like 2008 2009 which did have these very slow recoveries as a comp comp um so i think it's a v-shaped recovery the data i look at is um first of all my favorite data point is consumer confidence and consumer confidence is actually right around 100, which is pretty good. You know, I think people would say it's kind of neutral. It's not super negative, not super positive. When it goes way over 100, people are like super positive. And then when it goes under 100, if you look at 2008 at the bottom of the Great Recession, it was like 20. I think it touched like 25 or somewhere in there. Um, and that was like one of the lowest ones ever recorded. Um, 
so so you have this anomaly where GDP is low, um, unemployment's high, yet people feel pretty good. And what's causing that is the Fed and the government just pumping tons of money uh, into the economy. Um, the unemployment thing is actually a huge problem because, and I'm sure you've heard this from retailers, it's actually impossible to hire anyone right now um, because they're making so much on unemployment. So once that once that goes away in July or is diminished, we'll have to kind of see where the government lands on that. But I think there'll be something there. I think you're going to see employment come roaring back because uh, essentially people will have an incentive to go back to work. So, so that's going to that's going to solve a lot of things there. Um, and then the other data that's really interesting, and, and someone had kind of tweeted this, is U.S. retail sales is a perfect V. We're like literally already back to the pre-COVID levels. Um, now you could say, well. You know, we don't know if it's going to be a W or not, and that's where time will tell. Um, that's another one. There's also these really weird data points coming out where consumer savings are at one of the highest rates they've ever been. So people are saving a ton of money, and that's because they're not traveling as much. They're they didn't they delayed their vacations and these kinds of things. Um, you know, it's not all. That being said, I do think macro we're going to have a V shape, but there are going to be some segments that get left behind. I think the ones that are going to be hit the hardest are airlines. You know, so. People are not really traveling by air nearly as much as they used to. It's come back some. So if you look at the TSA data, we're at about 750,000 travelers a day. A year ago, it was 2.8 million. So we've, we've lost 2 million travelers a day. So the airline industry is going to have a huge challenge. Oddly enough, it looks like the cruise industry is going to come back before the airline. I don't understand that personally, but there you go. Um, uh, and then, um, you know, the other thing is I've worked with a lot of startups and there's a fairly large percentage of companies that are not going to go back into office space for a long time. And, you know, that part is going to be delayed. So those industries will be hurt, but I think we're going to see other parts of the economy pick that up and we'll still have that V. I also am bullish, uh, and I know you strongly disagree with this, that there's going to be a vaccine. So I think we got, um, two good candidates in Moderna and Oxford, um, and I get all my medical news from CNBC, so don't take any advice from me. But this is, you know, this is my again. I'm making predictions to try to see where we land on this. Um, and I do think this Project Manhattan thing is interesting. And you know, there's all these arguments that say, well, we're going to need three billion vaccines. I don't think that's right. I think if you go and vaccinate, there's a clear there's a clear set of people that have a much higher impact from this virus. So if you start at the 85 and older, the people that are immunocompromised and have existing conditions, that's a significantly smaller number. You, you've you protected a really big part of the population. That buys you time to go do the other ones. Um, you also have herd immunity kind of meeting in the middle. So I think there's probably in the US a 20 million thing over three or four months that gets you there. Um, so, so I'm, I'm very bullish on all that. And so my prediction, just to kind of summarize all that is it's going to be a V shape and, you know, definitely by Q1 of 21, uh, we will be at the kind of back where we were. And I think it may be as fast as Q4. So. Wow. Q4 of 2020. Yeah. Okay. I, I like, so let the record show, I hope to God that I'm wildly wrong and you're wildly right. Like I'm certainly rooting for you. Um, but like a, a couple of things that cause me to have some concern, like, first of all, you have a hypothesis, which is perfectly reasonable, but I don't agree with that. It's a government caused recession. So I, I for sure we took actions that that substantially contributed to a recession and potentially triggered the recession in the U.S., but there's but worldwide, there's a bunch of countries that didn't take any of those actions and they're still in a recession. Right. So uh, Sweden didn't shut down. Uh, people aren't spending in Sweden and a bunch of people are unemployed. Uh, Taiwan didn't shut down. People aren't spending there. Right. Um, so there, there's some evidence that even if there had been like you could debate whether the government action was helpful or not helpful. And and if there could have been better government action, almost certainly there could have been. But uh if there were no action, the my hypothesis based on all the international evidence is we would still be in a recession. Um, it it could be worse, could be better. Uh, uh, the truth is we'll never know. Um, I would also say I, I actually think there's a very good chance we'll have a vaccine. I mostly ag agree with you. It's it's possible we won't. Like as much as we all want to be optimistic, um, and we're we're 
making the most medical progress in the history of humankind to potentially create this vaccine. Uh, It was described to me once that, like, making a vaccine is very hard. It's like scoring a goal in hockey from half half ice. Um, But the good news is we have more Wayne Gretzky's on the ice taking shots right now than ever before, right? So I I think it's totally possible we make a vaccine. Uh, Most vaccines have problems, limited efficacy, um, aren't effective uh, in in uh, everyone that takes it. Vulnerable populations often are the ones that are least likely to be able to take it. It does. It is difficult to distribute a vaccine. There's a bunch of people in the U.S. that just don't believe in vaccines and aren't going to take it, even if we do have one. Um, and so for all of those reasons, even if the science goes perfectly and we have a decent vaccine in Q1, I, I just don't think you have enough immunity to turn the economy around until Q4. And that means you won't start seeing the economic results of that turnaround until Q1 2022, which is where my my estimate uh, sort of comes from. And again, I desperately want to be wrong. I hope you're right. But that's my my concern. All right. Well, we've got our stakes in the ground and there's a good year in there to yeah. Other <laughs> so. depressing news on this point from this week, just to throw out there, is all the the banks had their earnings call this this week. And the common theme from all of them is they're all reserving tens of billions of dollars because they expect massive default on all of their their loans and mortgage properties, right? Like they, they uh you 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 hit the hammer on uh, the nail on the head. Uh it's the weirdest recession ever because there's this like very high unemployment and very high savings rate. Like, because per your point, like all this stimulus money and stuff co- uh, and, and bolstering unemployment um, benefits caused everyone to, like the average American had a huge cash influx um, at the same time they weren't working. So that's a weird, weird dichotomy. But all those benefits are scheduled to end um, in a couple of weeks. Uh, there was a, uh, more people than ever that missed their rent payment this month. There's an even higher cohort of people that say they don't know how they're going to pay next month's rent. And then all these benefits are going to uh, expire. So there's a chance for all, all sorts of cascading negative financial um, events to happen. And it feels like all these earnings calls from the banks are kind of a foreshadowing that they think it's going to happen for whatever it's worth. Yeah, it's really weird because uh, I heard someone say that it's like having two different movies playing on one screen because then like car sales are up. Yeah. So, you know, what's <laughs> funny about that. Like you mentioned like, oh, retail sales are kind of back. Like the V is there. Yeah. It That's 100 percent true if you include auto sales like our our um, what month or, uh, did we get the reporting came out for June today. So so the June retail numbers with auto in there. um, the June total sales number is higher than the February total sales number. So complete recovery. Uh, but if you take auto out of that, like we're still definitely trending in the right direction, but we are still below our like February levels. So it's weird. Like cars are disproportionately affecting that. Um, I've heard one hypothesis is because, uh, air, air travel is so curtailed. A lot more people are, um, are taking, uh, uh, are using their cars more. I've heard Harley Davidson is having a huge resurgence. People are buying motorcycles and going on, on, uh, uh, driving vacations instead of flying vacations. Um, you would know more about this than me, but I have heard that, uh, uh, as all the rental car companies declare bankruptcy and, and sell off their, their fleets, that that's going to put a damper on the auto sales as there's going to be a, a flood of inventory. Yeah. They're kind of trading them internally. So, um, Let's see. I don't know how much of this. So, so uh, I would say rental car usage is is going crazy right now, which is odd because it's usually tied to air travel. Um, but they've become disconnected because people are saying, "I don't want to travel on airplanes, therefore I will drive from Chicago to Detroit." Um, and I would normally fly that. So, and then they kind of say, "Well, I don't want to put those. What is that? Three thousand miles on my car? I'll rent a car and do it that way." Um, yeah. So it. Yeah, it's it's tricky to to read, and that's what makes the prediction that much more fun. Yeah, we'll see. And hey, before we jump into other e-commerce news, several listeners have asked over the last week. There's been a lot of um, get spiffy news, and I'm wondering if you can just share a, a a quick update on on some of that for our listeners. 
Yeah. Yeah. I guess the the biggest news. So we are, um, you know, we're experiencing this V, which is what I think probably influences things. So we definitely had a huge dip in demand, largely from fleets. Um, and then obviously office parks have been hit. That hasn't come back, but the fleet stuff's come back pretty dramatically. Consumers have come back. Um, so it's actually been pretty tough hiring. So we're, we're hiring technicians at a pretty good pace. Um, and then one of the biggest inbound requests we get is for people that want to franchise. So we've, we've kind of carved out the 50, what I would call Amazon prime cities. Um, as you know, I, I love Amazon and they're in about 50 cities with prime. And those tend to be the cities we want to target as well. Um, I figure Amazon has a pretty good idea where those prime households are. So, um, but then we get tons of requests from smaller cities like a Wilmington, North Carolina, a, let's see, Memphis, Tennessee that are, you know, we'll probably not be able to get to for years because we're in 17 of these 50 that we're focused on. So we've decided to open up those kind of next tier markets. So 300,000, 800,000 people in the metro areas um, to franchising. So we, we were able to announce that uh, feels like last week. Yeah, last week. Um, and that has had a really good response. So that's been fun. Um, you know, at, at Channel Advisor, one of the things I loved every day was I got to work with thousands of entrepreneurs. Some of them were entrepreneurs. So they were like, you know, the di early digital people inside of Nike, like leading the charge. But then at the same time, you would deal with these entrepreneurs like Rock Bottom Golf and these crazy brothers that were selling golf stuff. And um, so it was a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to look at working with a bunch of other entrepreneurs uh, in that capacity. Yeah, that's awesome. I just take it as a, a good sign because I'm I'm thinking about all of the the those that cumulative car washing capacity and I'm doing the math on how much crystal meth you must be selling to need to launder that much money. So that seems <laughs> seems really encouraging. Yeah, I get this a lot as a car wash guy. The uh the reference it for those of you that don't know is the TV show Breaking Bad. The guy um buys car washes to essentially um you know uh clean his cash. Um, so literally launder. and figuratively, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we do not for full, you know, total transparency. We do not do that. Or so you say. Okay. <laughs> cool. Well, it would not be a Jason and Scott show without Amazon News. Your margin is their opportunity. Yeah, so this was a weird one. Uh, and I want to check your memory because I feel like I've lived seven years in the last uh, four months. So I got this notification that said, congratulations, Scott, uh, you are in the day one program for uh, Amazon Echo Frames. So I ordered those and they're coming this weekend. And I forgot uh, if we knew about this or not and if we talked about it on the show. Yeah. And <laughs> so is this new or is, am I just like have no, I forgotten? No, it's super, it's super annoying. So um – it was announced over a year ago when they launched the Echo Buds. They actually announced a variety of new Alexa-enabled devices. So they um, they had uh, the the earbuds. They also showed a, a ring that you wear on your finger, and they announced these uh, frames that you get prescription lenses in. Um, and for the the ring and the the um, frames you had to apply and you and i uh, i know for a fact both applied on the first day that you could apply and so the reason i'm super annoyed is not even that you got in and i didn't and that you don't remember um registering the reason i'm annoyed is because after i found out you got in I went into my Gmail spam and found out I got in in March and my, my invitation has already expired. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So shame. Well, next time you see me, I'll be having a conversation with my eyeglasses. This is and another reason be, uh, why I, I see Jeff Bezos point that I should whitelist him, but I, I'm still not going to do it. Yeah. I think Jeff loves me best. He, he probably does. You're more lovable than me, frankly. You're, you're more of a wide eyed optimist. The the he has definitely experienced a V shaped recovery. Yes, he uh, yeah he's well on the he's on a V with a rocket ship on the exactly. tail. Um, which is actually interesting because uh, they are going to announce results next week. Um, they haven't announced the day. I'm thinking July 23rd. If you kind of look at last year, so we'll do a whole show dedicated to that because I do think um, you know. 
as Amazon goes, it's a really good indicator of what's going on in online. Uh, I'm going to predict, uh, you know, it's going to be a blowout quarter based on everything I've seen. Um, but, uh, another thing that was really interesting, um, uh, kind of in your world of grocery, uh, and there was a very robust discussion on Twitter, um, uh, was this idea of the Amazon dash cart. And you and I were aligned on this one, oddly enough. So, um, but, you know, so this is a cart that, um, it's really weird because everyone had one image of this thing. So you can tell it was like from a press release. Um, it's, it's going to be in this store that is not a go store or not a whole foods. I don't know what this is even going to be called. Um, I don't know if you know the name of it. Um, and it's going to be this cart that you can put some items in and it's really hard to tell from the press release if it uses image recognition. When you look at the cart, it clearly has some cameras mounted on it and then it has a digital display. Most of these cards use RFID in my experience. So it's, it's not clear if it's going to have some kind of belt and suspenders where there's an image recognition and an RFID or not. That'd be my guess. Um, but it's a really interesting cart. Uh, and then online, we had this really interesting discussion where someone uh, said, and I think it was the target guy. So he may be, uh, <laughs> he, he, he may be, you know, uh, on, on a different team here. Um, but he was kind of like, this is the stupidest thing. Why would you have Amazon go and do this dumb cart? You're wasting time and cycles. What's going on? This is, or, you know, I think the conclusion he came up with this is this is an admission that Amazon go is not going to work. Um, and then you and I and other people pointed out, uh, Hey, you know, Amazon's a $1.6 trillion company. I don't think because they're trying three or four things, you can kind of say this is a signal that they have failed at, at thing number one. You know, in fact, Amazon has enough experiments. They could run 50 grocery experiments. And to me, it actually is the opposite is essentially saying Amazon is really serious about grocery. So they're running a lot of experiments. These are the ones we know about. There's probably another 50 coming that we don't know about. So that, that was a really interesting discussion. Um, what did you think about that cart? Yeah. So, uh, I, well, I was first and foremost excited. So I, I'm excited about this whole deal. Uh, Amazon has had home delivery of groceries for a long time and Amazon Fresh and uh, Dirty Secret. Amazon Fresh hasn't been very successful or caught on very well. In fact, like Walmart basically is kicking Amazon Fresh's butt. Um, so then Amazon bought Whole Foods and they started delivering and doing curbside pickup from 80 of the Whole Foods. And that's been a pretty successful service. And so uh, pandemic hits, people want way more digital grocery. And, and in typical Amazon fashion, they dramatically scaled their delivery of Whole Foods from 80 stores to 160 stores and and did all kinds of amazing things to expand their capacity. So, so Amazon's main success in grocery is Whole Foods. And so what I've been excited about for a long time is uh, Whole Foods is super expensive groceries that only cater to affluent markets in big city centers. Um, so uh, it doesn't, you know, uh, solve the grocery problem for the bulk of Americans. Uh, so a while ago, it became clear that Amazon was going to open a new physical grocery store, uh, the first of which would be in Woodland Hills, California, which is a suburb of L.A., um, that is not a Whole Foods branded grocery store. So this is not something they acquired. This is a grocery store that Amazon is inventing. And uh, like, you know, my experience, Amazon does lots of cool inventions. If they're going to reinvent grocery, I want to see what they think is going to work. Um, so we've all been excited. I've visited the the construction site uh, before COVID where this thing was scheduled to open. It was supposed to open this summer. Uh, it did not open. Uh, instead, the rumor has it that they've been using that location as a dark store for deliveries. And the reason they're probably doing that is one of the things we've figured out over time about this grocery store is it has a big micro-fulfillment center in the back of it. So it has a robot that holds a bunch of the groceries and automatically fills a bag with a customer's order. So it, it's much more efficient at filling bags of groceries for curbside pickup or delivery than humans are. And that is clearly part of this new grocery concept that Amazon has. So um, I'm super interested to shop a store, see how that all works. They have now uh, discovered another one of these grocery stores under construction that's promised to open sometime in 2020 in a suburb of Chicago. So I'll, I'll get to visit one whether we're flying or not. So I'm, I'm excited about that. So the new news this week is, 
yes, that one of the other things they're going to have in this grocery store are these smart carts. And my guess is a little different than you. I think it's a little simpler. I'll be shocked if the store has RFID. I don't think they're going to put RFID tags on all the products for sale. Um, and in fact, I think they might have a lot less products that you put in the cart yourself because I, I won't be surprised if you use the micro fulfillment center, even when you shop in the store. So you order your peanut butter and mayonnaise and cereal and the robot picks them and puts them in the bag. It won't surprise me if you're only pushing the cart around in the meat and deli area and picking your own produce and your own meat. Um, we'll, we'll see how that works. But, uh, to me, the smart cart looks like its primary feature is, um, scan and go self-checkout. So lots of retailers let you use your phone aim the camera on your phone at products and kind of, uh, check out as you go. Sam's club has a store that that's the only way to check out called, um, Sam's club. Now you can do scan and go in all the other Sam's club. Uh, Apple was one of the very first people to have this experience and they, they still use it broadly. Um, a problem with that is the 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 camera in the phone isn't perfectly situated. Not everyone has the right apps on their phone. Um, there's a lot of user error. It's not the fastest experience in the world. So my theory is that this Amazon grocery store is going to let you do scan and grow on your phone if you want, but it's also going to let you push around one of their carts that has a a special purpose camera dedicated to the task of doing scan and go in the cart. So I think the that that cart is going to be a way to do scan and go, but the cart also has a screen in it, and I think they're going to use that for media. So I think they're going to sell ads uh, to to vendors and as part of the Walmart uh, Amazon Media Group, um, and they're going to pop up ads in that grocery store when you're in the appropriate section of the store. So I think that's another way to monetize it, and I think there's going to be a bunch of secret cameras and sensors on that cart that are carefully uh, keeping track of everything you do while you're in the store. And they're going to use that for analytics and data um, for, for, you know, future experiments and improvements. So I, I think that's going to be the main use case of the cart. I don't think you're going to have to use a cart to shop in there. I just, I just think it's, it's going to be an option. And I like, per your point, I totally agreed with Chris that like uh, it's, it's, it's just walk out or nothing. Like I, I do agree with Chris Doing just walk out technology in a 50,000 square foot grocery store is actually more than linearly more difficult than doing it in a, a 2,000 square foot convenience store. So I think there are reasons to think that Amazon Go technology might work in a bunch of categories, but grocery wouldn't be the most obvious one where it works. So it doesn't surprise me that Amazon's trying to invent something else that fits better for these bigger stores. And I also think if the smart cart thing were to work well and become popular, it would be much easier to retrofit that into all the Whole Foods stores they already own, whereas, um, you know, Go would be easiest to deploy if you're building a store from the ground up. I can't get over the mental image of you in a construction site wearing a hard hat where you've taken an Amazon sticker and put it on there. And uh, you're just like walking through like you know what's going on and you're like using a tape measure to be like, oh, this is where the robot's going to go. and. Yeah. You just I, described a way smarter, <laughs> cooler version of what I actually did. Now I'm kicking myself. I should have device. I should have coached. Like a, I should have gotten some coaching from you. I probably would have gone inside. But yeah. And then you do like a Mission Impossible repel, and then like you're hovering two inches off the ground, and you're like, then a bead of sweat drops. Yeah, that's basically how I, how I roll. That that's that's that what that I like to call down? Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that kills me. Yeah, so, all right. Uh, it's exciting. I think Amazon's <laughs> inventing new stuff. Uh, I don't know whether this like smart cards have been tried before and didn't work. It's not going to shock me if Amazon does it better than people have done it before. There are some smart cards that are better than this that do cooler stuff in China that apparently people do like. So there, there are you. I think you commented, man, that smart card looks like it has a huge battery. If it's just running the the electronics, that's kind of weird. I wonder if it's self powered. And uh, there are smart carts in China. Um, JD.com has has a store with smart carts that actually like follow an RFID tag in your on your wrist around you in the store, so so you don't even have to push the cart. the The cart just follows you around. Yeah, I almost wondered if there's a little Kiva robot hiding in there, and it will just like pop out and just start yeah moving products around. Yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, so. Couple other Amazon items in Q4. They announced there are going to be restrictions on third party stuff in warehouses. This has been kind of an ongoing thing where they're just kind of totally tightening the screws of the. It's the one area of Amazon where they raise prices, which is um, access to the fulfillment 
by Amazon side of things. Um, and then Prime Day, uh, didn't they? So they had moved it. They were going to have like Prime Vibes, and then nothing really happened there. And then they moved Prime Day to September, and now haven't they just totally punted on it? Yeah, so the latest rumors are that it's going to be October. I somehow got some inside information, and for the life of me, I don't know how, but I somehow knew it was going to be in October for several months. So everyone's like, oh my gosh, we just heard it was in October, and I've been like, wait, it's it's been there for months. So somehow someone did me a favor, and I didn't I didn't realize it. Um, and I, I will say, I, super quick on that, on the th- on the. 3P Warehouse, I agree with you, they're going to have a good earnings this quarter, and there's lots of reasons to think they are. But it does seem like fulfillment capacity is likely to constrain them. Like, if anything slows them down, it's going to be capacity. And the thing that jumped out at me in this announcement was not that they're constraining capacity. It's that they're like, by the way, we're bringing 60 fulfillment centers online this year to increase capacity. And it, we're still going to have to constrain it. And, you, and like, I don't know if people are falling at home, but like the next biggest e-commerce site in the United States of America has eight fulfillment centers total. Yeah, it's just, it's, it, if fulfillment centers matter, um, and I think they do, it, it is so far game over. It's not even funny. There's no way anyone could, you'd have to spend like $400 billion or something to, to catch up with where they are, where they've been, you know, yeah. they've just been like knocking these things out over so long. Yeah. The the asset they have built there is massive. Yeah. It's a Death Star. Another thing I'm watching kind of closely is um, Amazon has made some, some minor health um, news lately. They have announced that they're opening health clinics um, in a, a couple cities. And these clinics are adjacent to fulfillment centers because these are not health clinics at the moment that we believe are to treat their public, they're to provide health services for Amazon employees. And so it it definitely seems like, uh, as we've talked about for a while, Amazon has some significant healthcare aspirations. And it feels like they're dogfooding a lot of those aspirations by using, uh, by testing um, new healthcare approaches internally. So, you know, for a while, like Amazon's had some interesting telemed services for employees, uh, they bought some some uh, like digital diagnostic tools uh, companies and they made those available to employees. And now they're going to open some dedicated health clinics. So it's uh, what's interesting to me is that's probably a precursor to them having some big, big consumer offering in the healthcare space. And so we're, we're watching that closely. Um, yeah, and you've kind of predicted Walmart would get into this and hasn't there. Yeah, been and they have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. thought we were going to maybe talk about this later, but the um, Walmart has opened clinics that are pretty substantial in Atlanta. And now they've announced a bunch of other states, including Chicago, where they're going to open these clinics. And they're pretty impressive standalone clinics that provide a bunch of services um, at like, you know, Walmart level prices, shockingly low prices, even without insurance. And that has kind of been Walmart's MO. Like they did a big thing with uh, pharmacy where they sell almost all generic prescriptions for $4. So, you know, a bunch of people like even with insurance had some deductible they could never achieve. And so they, they like literally couldn't take the, the chronic prescribed medicines that their physician prescribed. And, you know, now through Walmart, they can afford them. And in much the same way, lots of families can afford to get an annual physical and have their kids get an eye exam and dental cleanings and things like that, even with no insurance through these Walmart clinics. So it's kind of a, an, an interesting approach to, cost reduce health enough to make it accessible to all the the Americans that that are pretty vulnerable with regards to health care at the moment. So I uh, th- this is another initiative. I hope to God Walmart and Amazon beat each other's brains out with awesome new inventions in healthcare because we we need it. Um, but yeah, that's so bad that there's like so much room for. Yeah, it's it's, it's awesome a huge industry exactly. and it it's, you know, ripe for disruption. And, you know, Walmart and Amazon are probably the two companies like unless maybe Apple also wants to get into that. Um, you know, those are pr- two pretty good private companies to be solving it. It's a shame that we're having to depend on private companies to solve our healthcare problems. But that's venturing into politics and we don't want to go there. Um, my funnest fact of the week uh, is ad uh, age, and they're probably going to get mad at me because it's 50-50 whether I'm thinking ad age or ad week, and they're two competitive publications. But one of them published a report uh, that Amazon is now the largest advertiser in the world. So they're they're spending $11 billion a year on ads. 
They have this novelty stat. That means they're spending $21,000 a minute on ads. Uh, But to me, what's cute about that is we keep talking about their ad network and how they're becoming a meaningful seller of ads. And they're kind of the third um, biggest digital platform behind Google and Facebook. Um, And, you know, the forecasts were that they were going to sell like around they were on a run rate to sell about $10 billion in ads um, in a calendar year. Um, which is still a distant third from Google and Facebook, but it's it's bigger than Twitter and a lot of other um, uh, Pinterest and a lot of other digital networks. So it's pretty impressive. Uh, but what where they're unique is they're the only company in the world that's buying eleven billion dollars of ads and then selling ten billion dollars of ads. So they're they're buying eyeballs and then selling them back to brands, which is kind of funny. Yeah, uh, I would not have expected them to be the largest advertiser because you you know. When you think about what you watch on TV, you don't see a ton of Amazon ads on TV. Yeah, the, uh, they do. They have ads in market all the time. They're, they are like a big Super Bowl advertiser, which is a big, a big chunk. But the bulk of their spend is not TV. It's digital. It's like they're they're Google's biggest customer. Yeah, living the dream. Yeah, uh, it's funny because for the longest time they said we're gonna we're not gonna spend money on advertising. We're gonna put it all into free shipping and stuff like that. And I guess they they finally got to the point where. They just had so much money they had to spend some on marketing. (laughs) Well, another thing where they're a complete anomaly is I guarantee you they are the only top 10 uh, advertiser in the world where nobody can name their CMO. That is true. I cannot. You probably can. Yeah. uh, I mean, I, yeah, but the, like they, they do not have like a big public facing marketing department right like you think of the mark pritchards of the world that are like you know constantly out there for png which has historically been one of the biggest advertisers um and it's a it's just amazon's a very different approach so it's it's going to be interesting yeah cool so that's uh that was a lot of amazon news uh what other news is on your radar uh, well, today I alluded to this earlier, but um, the middle of the month has been super fun for me because the, uh, the U.S. Um, Census Bureau publishes the retail data um, for last month, about uh, 18 days into the month. So uh, this morning they published the June retail sales data. And uh, I don't know if we want to get into all the technicalities of it. Like, there's a bunch of different ways to slice the data. So everyone reports the data, and the numbers always look different. And it's because it's this this rich data set. You can report retail sales without um, food or restaurants. You can report it with restaurants. You can report it without gas and automobiles or with gas and automobiles. You can report it with... Uh, adjusted for inflation and you can report it seasonally adjusted. So if you're reading, I, I say all that to just tell you, if you're reading any of these stats, you, uh, if the person cited them did a good job, they told you all those details, but that's why you'll see a lot of variance in the data. But so in general, uh, the, the, um, adjusted for inflation month over month, retail sales were up 5.8% in June over May, which is a, um, by historical standards, a very large jump. It was a smaller jump than last month, which was the hugest jump of all times. Um, and that obviously followed a couple months that were the hugest uh, drop of all times. But it, 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 per your point on the economy, it, it is trending in the right direction, and it's trending in the right direction pretty fast. Um, the, so that's two months in a row of, of retail sales growing. No, basically, you know, forget the number. No matter how you slice it, it's above, above average growth. Um, and basically, uh, as we discussed, you, we've kind of caught back up to our February sales levels, which were the kind of pre-COVID numbers, um, especially if you, if you keep car in there. A weird one. This, this data is really bad. I hate it for reporting e-commerce sales, but they try. They have a thing called non-store sales, which used to be catalog sales, and now it's it still has catalogs in it, but it's mostly e-com. And their number there is weird. It's down 2.4%. So you go, wait, like, since when has e-com ever been down, and why would it be e-com down now when everyone's adopting digital as a result of COVID? And a couple of reasons— Month over month growth, like, is not a awesome metric. You yeah. have to really understand what you're thinking of. Yeah, I mean, seasonality is a problem, but also it just it's so dependent on what anomaly happened the month before, right? Like, it's much better to compare 
uh, June of 2019 with June of 2018. And spoiler alert, like June of, of uh, I'm sorry, June of 2020 is 23% better than June of 2019. So, so the real trend here is e-commerce is way up. E-commerce was so way up in the beginning of the pandemic that now, um, as it normalizes a little bit, e-commerce looks down. Also, the e-commerce number in the, the Department of Commerce isn't huge, and so the number of days in a month can actually impact it. So there was one less day uh, this month, um, and so that, you know, uh, if you take that out, you know, month over month, it was actually up 2%. So, um, so yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't agonize over that number. They have slightly better e-commerce data that they report quarterly, and the next reporting of that quarterly data is August 18th. So August 18th is going to be a big date because we'll get the quarterly e-com numbers and we'll get the the July retail numbers to see if we can make it three months of recovery in a row. Yeah, I think Amazon's cleaner data than all this stuff. Yeah, I'm going with Amazon. Most of the people that like, even like the Adobe's that you know have a lot of clients and aggregate their data, like most of the 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 Comscore panels and stuff, they're all going to tell you e-commerce is up. So when the the um, Census Bureau reports is down, it's kind of goofy. Yeah. A couple quick ones on Google Shopping. So uh, they rolled out this kind of, they're constantly testing things, so it's hard to know if this is a test or a permanent feature. But, um, uh, you know, a one of our guests uh, saw that they have this fast shipping tag. Uh, and then uh, another one of our guests, uh, Fazil, said, hey, it's only been 15 years and they finally realized people that shop online want to know when they're going to get the products. Boom. I want to report a murder. Uh, and then uh, another astute uh, online person noticed. Uh, a, a, a side note on that comment. Fazil actually works for Google. Yeah. <laughs> Does he? No, he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. He, he works like in the, in the like special, like he's uh, in the <laughs> autonomous vehicle division of Google. Oh, okay. That's alphabet. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. He's but in, still. he's in a whole nother part of yeah. the alphabet. Those those crappy sales ads that are telling you when they ship are still paying his salary. I guarantee you. <laughs> yeah, he's over in W, crapping over on G. So it's exactly, right. it's, he's like in the whole back end of the alphabet. All right, uh, and then uh, Nike. Uh, someone noticed uh, pulled all their listings from Google Shopping, which is interesting because you know I think we just reported like a week ago that Nike CEO said they're going to move to fifty percent direct sales. So um, you know they must have thought they weren't getting the the brand you know, whatever ROI they wanted from Google shopping. Yeah. Yeah. And Nike does have this philosophy, which is pretty bold that they're, they're really only going to sell their product through retail experiences that offer a differentiated experience. And so mostly, you know, people took that to mean retail. And so what that means is, um, if you're a boring store that puts the Nikes right next to the Reeboks and doesn't give them a Nike a chance to tell their unique brand story in any way, that they're going to fire you as a customer. And they, they have fired the bulk of their retailers. And even the ones they haven't fired are increasingly not getting the good, hot, new Nike products. And so to me, this Google move feels a little bit like that, right? Like the Google shopping still isn't a very good experience. It still has a bunch of flaws. As Joe pointed out, like it's a complete cluster with regard to uh, when am I going to get it, shipping times. Um, and yeah. so to me, it, it feels kind of on brand for Nike to say, I'm I'm not just going to put my shoes in a catalog tile in a mediocre selling experience. Yeah, and, and this those data points like three to five years old, but I just have a hard time believing Nike, uh, not that Google solved it. But a lot of brands, not just in the shoe category, but we'll use that as an example. They get they get really frustrated with how Google presents their products, right? So so there's all these crawlers and this algorithm spits out and says, "What? Here's 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 the best Nike running shoe or something like that." And then Nike's like, well, that's like six years old and you pulled it off eBay and it's used. That, that's that's yeah. not, if you'd asked us, that's like not even in the zip code of like one of our top shoes. And, you know, where the heck did you get that as a top shoe? It's so, weird so, because so everyone brands tells get me really that AI is that. perfect. It's weird. I don't, yeah, it's it's maybe Nike's wrong. Yeah. The, uh, the fun side note on my favorite Google shopping story is someone, uh, uh, a couple of retailers got together and they're like, hey, I'm seeing something really weird in my analytics. Um, the, you know, we always have a lot of cart abandonment and cart abandonment super high. And we're always trying to, you know, figure out what it is. And we do cohort, cohort analysis and stuff to try to figure out, you know, wh- who's, who's abandoning carts. And um, we notice there's one user that has huge cart abandonment um, across all of our sites. And his name is John Smith. 
Like someone's typing John Smith in in a, a bunch of carts and abandoning their carts, and they're like, you know, who is this? What is it? And uh, you know, they they did some some uh, uh, digital sleuthing and found out that it's a, a Google bot for Google Shopping. <laughs> Interesting. I love it. Driving up cart abandonment stats everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of Nike, the 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 more interesting Nike news to me um, is that Nike has announced yet another new Nike-owned retail concept. So a Nike store that they're calling Nike Rise. This first one is opening in China in the uh, Ganju district. Uh, just opened a week ago, um, and uh, you know I've been kind of impressed with Nike's uh, digital in-store efforts. So Nike has a, a store concept called Nike Live, which is a very personalized store that leverages data from local shoppers to to assort the store. Um, and it has some cool omni-channel amenities. Then they open this huge flagship store concept called House of Innovations. There's now several of those. And they're, to me, the best example of letting customers use their phone in the store to legitimately enrich the shopping experience. And now they have this other concept, which I actually ha- obviously haven't been to yet, um, but that uh, also its primary emphasis is around digital shopping in a physical store and using your mobile phone in the store. So um, I-, I feel like they're the market leader in doing that, and I'll be interested to see how Nike Rise is different than uh, the House of Innovation. Yeah, when it opens, I want to have uh, Sucharita on the show because her tweet was, you were like, oh, my God, I'm giddy about Nike Rise. I can't wait. And she's like, can someone explain this to me in English? I don't understand what this is supposed to be. This store is supposed to reflect, quote, the pulse of sports in a member city, end quote. Um, this is like the retail equivalent of abstract art. <laughs> yeah. and I <laughs> So I'm picturing going in and it's like a Picasso painting where, like, the shoes are all in cubes and melty and stuff. My, so my interpretation, like, so a, every retailer, when they open a new store concept, they issue this, like, you know, fluffy press release with all the cool experiences in it. And the reality is one or two of those experiences are super valuable to customers and customers like them and resonate with. And other ones are ones that some executive thought was cool, but that no customer is ever going to care about. Right. So uh, maybe I'm just more cynical than Sucharito. Like, I've never read a press release for a new retail store that didn't have some silly fluff in it. And I, I suspect she's right. Some of the features that Nike's touting in this store probably will end up being su- silly fluff. And I think the one she's pointing to, the way I interpreted them, is they have some kind of um, augmented reality experiences where you can use your phone to to kind of have a, a virtual sports tour of the activities in the city where the store is. So you're a tourist and, uh, you know, maybe you get the, the experience of, if, if you're, if, if there were a Nike rise in New York, you might get the experience of, uh, being at the finish line of the New York marathon or, um, you know, being in jet stadium or something like that. So, uh, I don't know if I, I'm interpreting that right, but I would kind of agree with her. Like that's like a, kind of tangential shopping experience but other experiences on that list i'm much more excited about for example they're uh instead of using those old um rulers to measure your feet they're using um uh image recognition to uh to uh, measure your feet and prescribe shoe sizes to you and i think like uh it's shocking that it's taken this long to improve on that that shoe device that's now 100 years old do you step on it or like it? No, nope, it's just a camera. A camera that, that, like, it, like, there's a home in the U.S. There's a home version that you can use in the Nike app, um, but I'm guessing this is going to be a a slightly more optimized version that the so, the sales associate uses in the Nike Rise store. We're up against time, and we have 60 more topics. Let me. So the one I really want to hear about, and will reward folks for making it this long, is there's been a lot of chatter about Walmart's new kind of quote unquote prime killer. Um, I thought I thought it's kind of funny because I think people all miss that it's really grocery focused. So so I was kind of because you're the grocery guru, um, I was curious about your take on that. Yeah. Um... I'm of two minds. So, like, to summarize it, uh, Walmart is launching a subscription program. Uh, you you get a membership. I think the speculation is that it's, like, 100 bucks, and you get some shopping benefits for that that um, that, bent, that subscription. Um, 
Walmart hasn't announced any of this. And in fact, Janie Whiteside, the chief customer officer who was on our show a few months ago, just did an interview on LinkedIn yesterday and they asked her and she said, I have nothing to announce right now. Um, but the, but stay tuned because it's it uh, it's going to be out in like a month. <laughs> um, so we don't know what's really in it. Um, and here's my two minds. Uh, if it's pay $100 to get free one-day shipping for your general merchandise, um, I think that's going to be stupid because, like, it's it's going to be trying to compete with uh, Amazon Prime with a way lamer offering, right? Like, uh, while Amazon has way more assortment than Walmart, and, and whatever assortment Walmart can ship in one day is a small subset of Walmart's assortment. So um, it's it's not just a matter of, like, some products can get there in one day, like way more Amazon products are going to get there in one day than Walmart products. I, I'm pretty confident in that. So if if that's all it is, it's not going to be very interesting. But I will be surprised and disappointed if that's all it is. I'll bet you they're going to bundle some some Walmart benefits in there that are different than things Amazon can bundle, right? So um, there, there, for, there has to be a grocery component in there. Like you, you could imagine... Um, that there's free, fast uh, home delivery of grocery included in that. Um, like, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a healthcare offering in that, that they're offering some premium healthcare stuff. So uh, I'm going to reserve judgment until I see what they're offering. I hope it's not an Amazon Me Too product. If they can come up with a compelling list of values, super smart and important um that they build this a recurring revenue model for Walmart. Like, uh, you know, as retailers are getting more and more strained on margins, re- recurring revenue is where it's at. Like the, the most successful in the retail in the U.S. by many standards is Costco, and it's because of that membership fee. Like, you know, when you look at Amazon success, it's all around Prime. So uh, I think Walmart's smart to figure out what its recurring revenue is. I'm going to be eager, just like everyone else, to see – um, if, if this first offering next month is, um, unique and differentiated and it can attract people or if it's a, a, a silly shadow of Amazon prime. Yeah. Um, I think that's compelling. It's like, Hey, uh, pay us $99. We'll give you two flu shots and a bag of groceries. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that sells. Yeah, well, but I mean, you can imagine, like, there's a bunch of healthcare services that people have to pay for. Like, you could imagine them taking $100 out, $100 out of the cost of that, and then you getting all these other benefits, right? And that's, that, yeah. that sounds wacky, but like, you know, when Amazon first wrote up the, the memo and said, we're going to give free shipping and free movie rentals in Prime, that sounded wacky too. Now everyone's like, well, of course you get those. Two billion dollar behemoths battling each other is good for consumers. So I'm all for it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, and I, I think more retailers need to invent this. Uh, there was, I know we're crushing time. Uh, there was a Bain report that came out that got widely distributed where they sort of did the math on the profitability of grocery. And it's, um, this is, um, these numbers unfortunately are painfully familiar to me, but like a normal profitable gross, grocer in store makes two to four percent gross margins. So it's a pretty, pretty thin margin business. And so anytime, you then pick the groceries for the customer and drive them to the customer's house, um, you're going to lose money, right? So all of this digital grocery stuff is not profitable. There's been a lot of articles written about Walmart's digital grocery not being profitable. The easiest way you'd make it profitable is you'd charge more fees for that, right? And in general, consumers haven't been willing to pay those fees. Um, And so the the hypothesis is like that a, a recurring membership program may be the best way to collect fees to make grocery profitable um and so you you can kind of think about Walmart plus being a, a Walmart's answer to the profitability conundrum of digital grocery um i will tell you we talked about the micro fulfillment centers and doing automated picking for groceries. And that's actually the real way to make groceries profitable. Um, if you use a robot to fill the bag and you have the customer pick it up in the parking lot instead of driving it to them, you, you can basically make digital grocery higher capex than a regular grocery store, but hit the same operating mar- margins. So then you, you don't have to charge any fees. If you can get any fees for it, it suddenly becomes more profitable than regular grocery. But how's the robot going to know? I like my avocados s- firmish, but also soft. Yeah. 
Um, so, no, you joke, but uh, uh, this is the hard thing about grocery. Yeah, the good People have digital really weird grocers, preferences. like, and Walmart and Amazon are both bad digital grocers. Like, almost every big one is. Um, if you live in New York and you order from Fresh Direct, which is a digitally native digital grocer, when you order the avocados, it's going to ask what day you want to eat it because. They're going to forecast the ripeness and give you a, a avocado that becomes ripe on the day you want to consume it. And so customers would traditionally say, I want a day two avocado and a day four avocado. And over time on a, on a good platform like that, you also build your, all your preferences for substitutions. If you don't have the 2% milk I want, substitute the 2%, give me the 2% milk in a different size. Or are you willing to accept 1% milk instead of 2% milk? Or do you not want milk if I don't have exactly what you want, right? And so on these really digitally mature platforms, you build these robust preferences um, that that enable it to be really smart about filling your bag. Um, you know, at, at Walmart, Amazon, and Kroger, if they don't have the milk you want, you're likely going to get glue sticks or something. So you could say the conclusion of the show is their AI on avocados is better than Google Shopping's AI. Uh, for sure. I, I, although I doubt they have any AI, it's probably sim- like that they, they have, they have dudes that come in. At <laughs> oh, come fresh- on. That was yeah. like such a, such that an interesting a contrast. Yeah. Dang it. Uh, uh, well, one of the things we wanted to talk about was the big commerce S one. We're going to kick that to the next show. Um, so that's a teaser to keep you coming back to episode two twenty eight or two twenty nine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that is a great cliffhanger and, we will leave it there because it's happened again. We've used up our uh, allotted time. As always, uh, if anything piqued your interest here, we'd love to hear from you on Facebook or Twitter. Um, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, uh, please, please, please jump on iTunes and give us that five-star review. Um, and uh, appreciate everyone sticking it out with us for an hour. Yeah, I would love to see your thoughts on the uh, the V-shaped versus the will never recover position of Jason. So look forward to seeing that on social media. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Until next time, happy commerce. You've been listening to the Jason and Scott show for all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing. Subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 